Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revs' offensive struggles continued on Saturday with a 0-0 draw against New York City FC. The Revs are now 0-4-1 at home with two goals scored, uh, which really just kind of magnifies the offensive struggles that have dogged them throughout the 2020 season without Carlay's heel. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is Sean Donahue. Sean, how's it going? I mean, it may have been a boring Revs game, but at least we had a exciting Celtics win on Saturday night. And uh, my my favorite Premier League team, the Spurs, got Gareth Bale back and won five to two this weekend. So overall, a good weekend. Yeah, and you know, I I, I had the take the other day. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but it, it was kind of more privately. It wasn't from our Revolution Recap account, but uh, I, my new hot take is that there's too many sports going on <laughs> because I noticed um, the Stanley Cup Finals are happening right now, and I completely forgot hockey was going on. Um, and I saw Bundesliga uh, came back this week, and a lot of European soccer leagues are restarting. And uh, I think my brain is just kind of overloaded uh, between the NFL starting and um, I don't know the, the Celtics obviously going on, and um, I don't know it's it's a bit weird to uh have so many sports happening all at once after the month-long layoff so um it's kind of making me a little bit dizzy but i guess it's in the end not a bad thing but um one thing that doesn't have a lot of action though is the revs on the offensive side of the ball as i said zero zero a much improved game from the two nothing loss to nycfc a few weeks ago but still nonetheless only one point from this home fixture for the revs um sean what was your key takeaway from saturday's game yeah, I mean, you're right. It was a it was a much improved performance, despite the fact that they only got one point out of it. Um, I think this was a game where the Revolution, you know, I think a draw was a fair result, but the Revolution had moments to win this game, and a lot of that was because of Tejan Buchanan. Um, I was a little bit surprised to see Tejan Buchanan get the start in this one, um, but he performed really well. To me, he was the Revolution's man of the match. I think Lee Wynn uh, got it on the on the fan voting. I, I thought he, you know, he was decent, but I don't think he deserved man of the match. I think Tejan Buchanan was man of the match, and I know the, the two of us, I think, have. You know, been critical of his play at time this season, and I think rightfully so. But um, I think the goal he scored a week ago in that you know disappointing Revolution loss, where you know red card undid them, uh, really boosted his confidence because I, I thought he was kind of playing at another level in this game. He had four shots, led the team in shots. Three of those were on target. Um, you know, to be fair, some of those were right at the goalkeeper, but you know, still, those were some chances that earlier in the season you might have missed entirely or might not have gotten in the position to be in. Um, in particular, he really connected with with Bootner. Uh, he was finding himself in some open spots because he was making some really good runs and getting on the end of crosses from, from Bootner. Um, his passing in the first half wasn't ideal. It was 10 for 16, but in the second half, it was 9 for 9. Um, so he finished with 76% passing accuracy, which for him is a really good number. Uh, he finished with 54 touches in 77 minutes, so he was really involved. Um, and, and I just thought he was a key contributor to the Revolution offense and looked a lot more confident than we've seen him at other times this season. Uh, you know, we've we've questioned Tejan Buchanan uh, and why he's gotten minutes over Kukata. Mane, but I thought he was a much better. Uh, I mean, Mane had limited minutes in this game, but I thought Tejan Buchanan certainly earned the minutes he had uh, with this performance, and I think he's going to continue to be ahead of Kikuta Mane on the on the depth chart based on what we saw in this match. Uh, we talked about that before, but there's been nothing to change that. Um, and this performance, I think, only solidifies Bruce Arena's faith in Tejan Buchanan because he was really, really good in this game. Um, and for you know all the the lack of sharpness we've seen in previous games from him, um, he looked a lot less raw in this match than I think we've seen in past games. Yeah, I will say, and, and I'm aware that 
uh, me saying I don't want to see Taeyeon Buchanan in a, a tie game. That take came, I think, three or four weeks ago, and ever since then he's played really, really well, uh, and he's started to win me back over. Um, the one thing I will say about Taeyeon Buchanan is that um, his touch is still pretty poor. Um, there, He was dispossessed five times uh, on the game yesterday, uh, which I believe was a game high. I'd have to double-check that uh, among Definitely everyone. Definitely a red but, tie, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, he, his touch still needs a little work. You can still see some um, kinks, uh, and, and you know he's still a little bit raw. But with that being said, he's 21 years old. Um, I, I think I've pointed out on previous podcasts, he came out when he was drafted and he came out of college. He, he came out as a sophomore. So this would be his senior year in college. So you got to remember this is a college-age kid. Um, you know, This would be a top-five super draft pick if he had stayed um, in college. So um, you know, he, he still has a young work in progress. And yeah, I, I mean, Bruce seems to have a lot of trust in him. Um, other than, I think, Brandon By, he's the only player to have made an appearance in every single Revs game this year, uh, which is a big leap from last year when Bruce Arena came in. And I think Taeyeon got one appearance for one minute. Uh, and after that, he was completely gone from the lineup. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing a little bit more and more of him. And he scores the game against Philadelphia. I think that was a big confidence booster for him. Uh, I think at the beginning of the season with the uh, kind of missed header in Montreal, uh, I, I think that certainly hurts a, a young player's uh, kind of confidence. Um, now, I think with this goal in Philadelphia and, and getting a, a full start, a full 78 minutes, um, I, I think it's done wonders for Tayon. And I think even if we're going to have some kinks and we're going to see some um, errors here and there, um, I, I think they want to develop Tayon Buchanan as a potential winger that can slide in to the lineup uh, and, and really be a contributing factor uh, going forward. Just wanted to kind of touch on his stats. Uh, you mentioned four shots, three on target, 76% passing. He was also six for 11 in the attacking third, which is okay. He's, again, I think passing uh, and, and ball possession could use a little bit of work, but eight ball recoveries. He had four tackles, two interceptions, a block, a clearance, um, over two on crosses. But he, he does a lot of the little things um, both ways. Uh, he, he won some balls in the midfield uh, and kind of turned them into uh, counters the other way. So I, I think overall positive marks for Tayon. I don't know how I feel about him in the starting lineup, but I certainly think he's carved a role out for the team. And I will rescind my take from a few weeks ago that I no longer want to see him uh, on the field in a tie game. So well, good for and, and I want to give you some credit too, because I think it was maybe you know a couple weeks ago where you also kind of kind of said if if you know Kakuta Mane and Tejan Buchanan are about the same level. It makes sense for what Bruce Arena has been doing, which is playing Tejan Buchanan, who's, you know, four years younger, uh, probably making one-tenth the salary of Kukuda Mane, um, and, you know, a Generation Adidas guy, and, uh, you know, a player that uh, has a lot more room to develop than a Kukuda Mane who, uh, you know, when he was Tejan Buchanan's age, everyone thought was going to be the next big thing, but then his play kind of tailed off. So, you know, if, if they're equal, and I think Tejan Buchanan has shown better than Kakuta Mane recently, um, you know, it does make a lot more sense to play the 21-year-old Tejan Buchanan who, you know, you have, you know, better contract situation and who is four years younger. Yeah, and and on that note, I think it's worth pointing out for people that um, might not have been listening to us for a long time or might not be familiar with the salary cap rules, players that are on the supplemental roster or Generation Adidas players like Tayon Buchanan don't count against the salary cap. So, you know, if you have your starting 11 and then three or four impact subs, to have one of those players not count against the salary charge and you're able to essentially use money towards a different position, um, you know, that's a huge plus. Uh, and you look at some guys like Henry Kessler. Henry Kessler uh, is, is also on the supplemental roster, I believe. Um, Brandon Bay was promoted to the senior roster, but um, he's got a low salary figure. Um, there are a lot of young, talented players that are kind of at a low salary that 
you know, if the revs are able to cut some fat in this offseason, they're able to go out and spend money elsewhere. And so instead of, you know, re-signing Akuda Mene for however, 250 or, or whatever, you're able to maintain Tayon Buchanan uh, on a young, you know, supplemental roster contract where he's making under six figures. Like just a, on a dollars and cents value standpoint, um, you know, developing guys like that really works out and is really key for for an MLS team, especially like Bruce Arena when he he's trying to go out and improve the roster and, and, and do some win now moves. So um, yeah, I am excited about Tayon Buchanan Um, again, work in progress, but I I think we're at a much better spot than we were two or three podcasts ago. Yeah. And just to give some salary numbers, since we, you know, we don't have 2020 salary numbers, but last year, Mane was at a base salary of 375,000. And Buchanan was at a base salary of 90,000. I think with guaranteed comp, it was more like 400,000 and 125,000, but that's still a very sizable difference. And especially when you factor in the fact that, you know, the supplemental roster guy doesn't count against the salary cap. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, and it makes you wonder too. Um, I mean, we can get, we talked about Mane last time, but um, that's another move that I know is basically a free player. Um, the Reds are essentially just take, you know, it was essentially a salary dump from, from Cincinnati, but um, I, I think Tayon must've been improving in practice lately too, because it seems like a bit of a redundant move to acquire Mane, um, you know, while giving Tayon began some, some minutes. I, I wonder if there's an injury or if there's something else going on there, but um, I, I think Tayon certainly has earned his spot over the past few weeks. And, and I didn't think Mane looked particularly good. I mean, he played 25 minutes of this game, so not that much time, but you know, he had that one driven cross where I don't think he took his head up and there was, you know, Buxa, but he was not in the position where Mane sent the ball to and there was nobody else there. It ended up being a corner, which is fine. Um, but then he also had that that shot where the ball rebounded to him and he, you know, kind of did a, a flailing volley that went you know, out for a throw-in um, where I think he probably had more time to maybe settle the ball and pass it or settle the ball and take a better shot. Um, you know, again, not fair to give to judge a guy too harshly because he hasn't had that many minutes for the Revs, but uh, in the limited minutes he has had, I don't think he's done enough to, to really earn more playing time. No. And again, why would you give him minutes over a 21-year-old you're trying to develop? So um, one guy that has been acquired uh, by the Revs recently and has gotten significantly more minutes is Lee Wynn, uh, which we actually called on this podcast last uh month, I believe. I think it was the August 9th episode. We were talking about potential fits uh, for the Revs, and I threw out Lee Wynn as a potential salary dump, dump uh, for Miami. And um, since our, the last time we recorded a podcast, Lee Wynn was acquired from Miami as a uh, complete salary dump. Uh, the Revs traded a fourth round super draft pick and I think $50,000 worth of allocation money based on incentives. Uh, so there's no guarantee the Revs are even giving up allocation money in a fourth round draft pick is essentially a freebie. Teams pass on super draft picks in the fourth round now. So um, really nothing that the Revs are giving up of value. If Lee Wynn works out, they're giving up a little bit of allocation money, but it, it'll be well worth it. Um, my key takeaway is he's an automatic upgrade there. I know some people are not thrilled with him I, he, he's not going to be you know mvp level lee win i don't think anyone is expecting that um i don't even think he's going to be um you know the lee win that was in foxborough in 2017 in his last full season here when i think he had 11 goals and 15 assists or something like that uh but he, he's going to fill a major major void uh in the central midfield we saw it yesterday he, he had a really really uh Nice game with some uh, key passes. Didn't lead to any goals, but uh, he had one shot off target, 83% passing, 9 for 13 in the attacking third, four ball recoveries. He was only dispossessed once. He had one interception. Um, You know, fairly tame numbers. He did win man of the match, but um, I I thought he made a 
pretty significant impact. And when you look at this team two weeks ago against NYCFC uh, and, um, you know, the team that was out there against Philadelphia and against New York CFC on Saturday, uh, I think Lee Wynn is a piece that, um, you know, he's, he's no Har- Carly's heel, but he's certainly going to fit this system. He certainly has a rapport with certain players, and uh, I think he makes this team better overall. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the greatest revolution players of all time. So to get him back for next to nothing, um, even if it's just a flyer, you know, it, it, it may just be a short term thing where Carlos Hill comes back and, you know, whether Lee Wynn is on the team next year or not, I don't know. But even if he is, he's probably going to be more of a bench guy. Um, one thing that, you know, just looking now that surprises me is that Lee Wynn was actually the worst rated player in the Revolution starting lineup, according to who scored. I know we always take those ratings with a grain of salt, um, but statistically in their statistic based rating, he was the worst player on the Revs. Um, I didn't think he was the Revs man of the match, but I did think he performed you know pretty well. I don't think it's harsh to, to say he was the worst starter on the Revs. Um, but, you know, with that said, I think it makes a lot of sense to, to take that risk, that very minimal risk on Lee Wynn. Um, to see if he can fill in for Carles Heel. You know, he was the Revs Carles Heel before Carles Heel was here. Um, and he's just been a phenomenal player for the Revolution over the years. Uh, very limited minutes in Miami and, you know, limited minutes for LAFC last year because of injury. And then I think he kind of, you know, a younger player took over his, his starting role, so he became more of a rotational guy. Um, but, it's, you know, it's still clear from this game, he's for, still a very technical player. Um, and, you know, you look at the Revolution's performance, they outpossessed New York City FC in this game. And New York City FC does not get outpossessed by many teams. And the Revolution are not a team that, you know, generally does very well in possession. And we should, you know, mention that the Revolution played kind of a different lineup this game with Gustavo Bo as the number nine um, and with McNamara, Caldwell, and Lee Wynn as their central midfielders. But, you know, the strategy worked in, in large part because of Lee Wynn and because of his ability to help the Revolution maintain possession. Um, so with Lee Wynn in the lineup, it allows the Revs to kind of play a different style and create more offensively other than just on the counterattack. It didn't lead to any goals in this game, um, but I think it does give them a lot more flexibility going forward. Um, with that said, you know, Lee Wynn played about 89 minutes in this game, which or 88 minutes in this game was kind of sh- shocked me. Um, given how few minutes he's played and given he's 33 years old. So I don't know if we're going to see him on Wednesday. Um, but, you know, even if he's a guy that can only you know, give you, you know, 88 minutes, I think is more than I expected him to give you in a game this season. But if he's a guy that can give you 90 minutes um, but can't play every game, I think you've still gained a lot by having Lee Wynn on this team, you know, given the different level of quality he can bring to that midfield that, you know, even guys like McNamara can't bring to this team. Uh, he's much more of a, you know, he's not a like-for-like like replacement for Carlos Hill, but he's much more of a guy that can kind of play that role and help the Revolution keep possession and kind of create things through the middle. And the Revolution have been lacking that recently. Absolutely. And it, it's worth kind of touching on that trade. Um, we'll, we'll play grade the trade really quickly. And it's worth noting, too, because you mentioned um, you, you're not sure if he has a contract runs through next year. Uh, if you read the Inner Miami uh, press release, their general manager says it gives them financial flexibility for this year and next year. Um, which impl- reading between the lines, it seems like he's saying that there is the very least a buyout for next year. Um, maybe his contract goes into next year. So I, I do think there is a little bit of risk because Lee Wynn is making, you know, half a million dollars, uh, in salary. And, and that is an expensive piece for a bench player. Um, but as you said, this could be a guy that is Carly's heel insurance. Um, you know, I'm sure they could find a way to fit him in the lineup or just use him as a super sub as he was being used in Miami, uh, and as, in LAFC, I, I'm sure there's going to be a role for him if his contract goes into next season. Uh, so it, it, it's not the worst trade in the world for me. Um, but as I say, I think Bruce Arena knows this is an, a, a, an area that needs to be addressed. Um, he said that Lee Wynn's agent reached out to them 
which seems to imply Lee Wynn is really enthusiastic about coming back to Foxborough and, and playing with the Revs again. So um, all in all, I, I give this grade a solid B+. Plus. Um, if the Revs can get out of a half-million-dollar contract next year, uh, I would give it a solid A as a no-downside Kakuta Mene, even if he doesn't work out trade. Uh, it, it's not the worst thing in the world. But, um, Sean, do you have a grade for the Lee Wynn trade? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult without knowing exactly the contract situation next year for him. If, if it was something that kind of put the revolution in a bad position, um, then maybe you think about it differently. But based on what we know, I, I also think, you know, B plus, A minus makes makes sense. It, it is, you know, at least trade-wise, they didn't give up much. And, you know, again, looking at this revolution game, the revolution had 53.6% possession against New York City FC. The last time they played them, I think the revolution had you know, the revolution had 41.9% possession. So they were strongly out-possessed by New York City FC, um, and, you know, there's some other factors too. Maxi Morales missed this game. Uh, but I don't think there's any way the Revolution outpossess a New York City FC team without a Lee win. And it just gives them so much flexibility or so many, so much of a different option up top than what we've been seeing these past several weeks. Um, that, you know, even if he's only able to play every other game, I think it just adds a lot to this Revolution team. So for that alone, um, you know, for the Revolution this season, it's a, it's a big move and a big helpful move for the Revs to, you know, at least in some of these games, have that option of playing him out there. So I, I agree it's, you know, B plus, A minus, um, you know, in part because they gave up so little for him. Moving on to one guy that has had a, a fair amount of struggles recently and is certainly not living up to what we expected after the tone he set last year, um, Gustavo Bo. Two goals in his last 10 games, uh, one assist, which was his assist uh, to Tayon Buchanan uh, in the Philadelphia Union game that we missed. Um, this game, still a little ineffective. Uh, three shots, only one on target, was called offside a bunch. I, I think he had two or three goals that were called back as of clear offsides. Um, 10 for 15 on passing, that's 67%. You mentioned before the podcast, actually, he's been passing at about 66% um, overall on the season, which is not particularly good for a guy that was originally uh, slated to uh, 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 take over for Carly's heel. Um, he did have one chance created, but overall a, a very frustrating season for Gustavo Bo. Um, Sean, what are your thoughts on Gustavo Bo? Are you, are you starting to hit the panic button? Um, another game where he was largely ineffective. Yeah, I thought he had a bad game and you mentioned the offside. I know we talked about this before, but he had four offsides again in this game. He's leading the league and times caught offside. And it wasn't really something that I paid a lot of attention to in, until Charlie Davies mentioned it a few broadcasts ago. But, you know, since then I've really kind of focused on that and it's been a pretty significant issue. There were, you know, in both plays in this game, he could have been on side and ended up, you know, leading to an actual goal instead of having, you know, two two chances that he put away. I think the Revolution actually had three chances in this game, two of which were Gustavo Bo that they finished that were offside. Um, but both of the Gustavo Bo's I thought he could have done better on. And it's kind of becoming a problem for the Revolution that he does so much to kind of skirt that offside line, but really hasn't been beating it. Um, I do think it's it's tough for him because, you know, last year, Carles Hill was out there. Carles Hill was creating a lot of chances for Gustavo Bo. Carles Hill was drawing a lot of attention away from Gustavo Bo. Um, and now Gustavo Bo on paper is the, the focal point of the Revolution's offense. Um, and a lot more is being asked of him. I don't know that he necessarily works particularly well in the role that Bruce Arena put him in in this last game as kind of the, the lone striker for the Revs with Adam Buxa out there, uh, not with Adam Buxa on the bench. Um, I'm not really sure that that suits Gustavo Bo's style, maybe a little bit more so when the Revolution do have possession and they, you know, they did have 53% in this game. Uh, maybe if the Revolution were a team that was getting, you know, 60% of the possession, it would make more sense to have Gustavo Bo as, uh, you know, maybe more of a kind of a false nine or something. Um, but yeah, he hasn't been that good this year. A lot more pressure has been put on him. I thought early on in the season, um, when he was doing that Carles heel role, he obviously wasn't Carles heel, but I thought he was playing a bit better. Um, but you know, ever since the MLS's back tournament started, I, I don't think he's been as sharp as we've seen him. 
Um, at his best, he's a guy that can create a goal out of nothing. Uh, but lately, a lot, a lot less lately, have we seen situations where you know you see Gustavo Bo out there and he gets gets a touch thirty yards from goal, and you think he's going to turn into a goal. That feeling just really isn't there anymore uh, because the sharpness from him hasn't been there. And I think that again, that was the case in this game. Um, I don't know if it's time to hit the panic button on Gustavo Bo. I don't think it is. Um, but you know, the Revolution need a lot more out of him. We've we talked a lot about Adam Buxa and how much better he needs to do. But Gustavo Bo recently too hasn't done enough for the Revolution as that you know DP attacking player. Yeah, and if they're going to be using him as a sole striker, um, you know, I, I think, you know, we talk about Chris Pania kind of moving around uh, and finding a position for him without Carly's heel. Gustavo Bo has really struggled to find his footing uh, on the season. Um, since the restart, since post MLS is back tournament, um, Gustavo Bo had a 71% pass accuracy uh, against the Philadelphia Union and the scoreless draw uh, the first game back. Since then, he hasn't had 70% pass accuracy in any game that he started. Um, he had 100% pass accuracy in a 14-minute substitute appearance last week, and he had an assist. Um, but uh, the games, other than that one substitute appearance, uh, 67%, 60%, 65%, 54%, and 68% pass accuracy, which is not great. Um, and he also has not been shooting the ball as much. Uh, just, again, taking out the Philadelphia Union game where he came off as a sub. Uh, three shots, one shot, six shots against NYCFC and uh, the 2-0 loss. Uh, four shots, three shots, uh, five shots against the Philadelphia Union in that first game since the restart. So this is a guy that last season was getting you know, seven or eight shots. He was getting in positions to shoot. Um, and, and as I say, the last two starts, he's had three and one shots um, with passing percentages in the 60 to 65%. So, um, you know, last time we, we talked about him, we speculated he needed a break. He's gotten a break um, and, and still a little ineffective. So um, not a lot, not a lot going for Gustavo Bo. And um, this is a guy that uh, more so than Adam Buxa, more so than Lee Wynn. Um, this is a guy that you need to turn around because he is your offense without Carly Seal. We do want to talk about Adam Buxa really quickly because he came off the bench very, very late in the game. Um, he, he sat a few weeks ago, uh, but at this point, it seems like he is almost getting into super sub territory. Gustavo Bo is kind of being used more as a forward, more as a striker. And if they're going to go with the 2-4-2-3-1 two, formation, um, Buxa is almost, in a way, potentially the odd man out. Uh, Sean, Give me your thoughts on Adam Buxa. Uh, I mean, wh- where are you with him? Um, you know, do you, do you think he's out of the lineup? Do you do you think he they're going to try to find a way to fit both of them in? Um, where are you with him? Yeah, I mean, it was weird to me that this was a game in which the Revolution had Buxa on the bench late, needed a goal, and didn't bring him on until the 88th minute. I don't think that speaks particularly well to Bruce Arena's confidence on Adam Buxa. Um, and it's understandable from the games that we've seen. Uh, with that said, I, do I think Adam Buxa is going to be a permanent fixture on the bench now? No, I think he's going to get more starts. I think the revolution kind of need him out there as that target man. Again, for some of the reasons we talked about with Gustavo Bo, um, I think with the strategy they employed in this game to, to try to get more possession and change their offense, uh, it made sense to, to sit him down. But um, I think the revolution need to find a way for him to be successful if the Revolution are going to be successful without Carles heel. Um, because I, I don't think Gustavo Bo can be your everyday kind of lone striker. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's not a good sign for Adam Buxa that it, it came to the 88th minute until Bruce Arena thought about putting him into this match. Um, you know, and, and, you know, really it was part, partly because Lee Wynn, I think, needed a sub at that point, probably needed a sub earlier. Uh, and Adam Buxa finally came on and, you know, he had two shots, you know, neither of which were made it to the goal. But, you know, again, I, I expect we'll see more from Adam Buxa going forward, and I expect the kind of the strategy in the lineup might change game by game depending on who the opponent is. Um, but you know, is he an everyday starter right now? It doesn't seem like it. Um, 
I just don't think he's going to be an everyday bench player either. But, you know, again, he needs confidence and he doesn't have it. And it, it, it made sense to me that he got benched in this game. It just shocked me that it took so long to bring him on. Yep, no goals for Adam Buxa since the DC United game on July 18th. So we are now two months since an Adam Buxa goal. Not exactly what you wanted for your uh, designated player striker. He also doesn't have a who score rating above seven since the MLS's back tournament when he did score. And he's only had one uh, who score rating above 6.75 since the MLS's back tournament uh, restarted. Actually, only one above 6.7. He had a 6.89 rating against New York Red Bulls. Uh, in a 73-minute uh, appearance where he was pulled. Um, outside of that, not a not a whole lot going for him. Um, you know, Chris, uh, Bruce Arena was asked a few weeks ago about his struggles uh, and about him fitting into the to uh, the team. And Bruce Arena kind of you know made the uh, made the he implied that it's a long-term investment, uh, and they said that too when, when Buxa was. Uh, acquired that this is a guy that they have long-term plans for, and this is a guy that they want to develop over time. So um, I, I think Bruce Arena is kind of pleading for patience. But um, you know, in a, in a season where you know one of your designated players is out for the season, uh, and Gustavo Bo is struggling without him, uh, having a third designated player being completely MIA is is not a great sign. I think it's fair to ask, do you think Adam Buxa is with the team next year? Or do you think they are going to try to sell uh, or move him to open up another designated player spot? Because going into 2021, if these are the three designated players, if Carly Seal isn't fully healthy, I'm a little bit concerned. Do you think the Revs are sticking with Buxa long term? Or do you think that him kind of moving to the bench and getting fewer, fewer, fewer and fewer minutes um, recently, do you think that might be an indication that uh, they might be looking to sell and, and try again on the third designated player? I share your concern, but I, I think Adam Books is going to be around for at least another season. I think they've invested a lot into him, um, and they expect him to turn it around eventually. Uh, you know, we've made a lot of excuses for Adam Books over the season, and it's it's hard to continue to do so. But um, I do think they're going to give him another year to at least prove himself and and you know try to find his way into this offense. Um, and and it, you know, if Carlos Hill is out, you know, for a significant portion of next season, that's extremely problematic. But if he's not, I think you know, Bruce Arena and the Revs would like to give him a chance uh, to play with Adam Buxa more and kind of build that relationship and that chemistry out there and see if that works because they, they did invest a lot of money into Adam Buxa. Um, so my guess is that he's at least got another season here. And one more stat about Adam Buxa I'll throw out is that uh, in seven of his first eight games, he played at least 86 minutes. Uh, and in that eighth game, he went 77 minutes. In the last five games, he's played 73, 19, 77, 59, and one minute. Uh, so not not a great sign, uh, again, when you're a team struggling for goals and, and uh, you know, you're a designated player coming off uh, when the team is in need of goals. Um, one other guy that has been the talk of Brev's fandom recently is Christian Pania, who also is struggling very, very far off from his form two years ago. Uh, used as a super sub in this game, he had about a 12-minute cameo coming on for Tayon Buchanan. In all fairness, Christian Pania, I thought he played pretty well. I think he fits into this super sub winger, um, you know, give a jolt of energy kind of towards the end of the game a lot better than, you know, given 90 minutes because he, he seems to be pretty sporadic throughout 90 minutes. He's going to show you some flashes of brilliance, but, uh, you know, he's not going to give you consistency. I think we, we've been talking about this since the beginning of the year. Um, I, I, I think to answer the Adam Books question of is will he be here next year? I don't think so because Christian Pena is on a contract for half a million dollars and takes up an international roster spot. And truly it sounds like Bruce Arena is pretty frustrated with his output uh, so far in, in 2020, but Christian Pena still 
has some ability. He still has some speed. He still is an offensive weapon, um, and I, I like him coming off the bench. Uh, Sean, what do you think we're going to see the rest of the season for Christian Pena? Do, do we see him as a uh, super sub coming off the bench, or do you think he's going to be eased back into the starting lineup? No, I, I agree with you, and I, I also agree that if I'm you know, talking right now, that I, I think that there's a good chance he might not be back next year. I think I'd lean towards him not being back next year either. The, the you know Talking about kind of timing of substitutions, what did surprise me in this game too was that uh, Mene came off the bench before Pena. Um, that wasn't a great sign for Pania, but I thought Pania was more effective when he did come on. And I think Pania, you know, as a super sub, um, a few different times this year has looked pretty effective. Um, so I do like him in that role, at least for the rest of the season. And I, you know, again, it's, it's harsh to judge Mane because he hasn't been here that long and he hasn't played that many minutes, but I, I think I like him in that role better than Mane. So, um, yeah, I think we're going to see more of Pania in that super sub role. And, you know, the flip side of that is I think Teal Bunbury had somewhat of a quiet game um, on the left wing, but I think what you see from Tail Bunbury is the way he plays on the left side allows a lot more freedom to Alexander Butner to get forward. And we haven't really talked too much about Butner this show, but Butner had a you know offensively a very good game. He had four key passes. I don't think anyone else in the Rev had more than one. Um, you know, we mentioned a couple of them to Tejan Buchanan with crosses, but uh, offensively he was he was very effective. Butner in this game, and I think part of that was because Teal Bunbury plays in a way and gets back defensively um, in a way that allows Butner a lot more freedom to get forward, and he took advantage of that. We know Butner is a guy that can cross, um, and with Bunbury out there, it gives him a lot more opportunity to do that. So. I think for the revolution, um, you know, they're probably better off with with Bunbury as that left winger for now and with Christian Pena coming off the bench. Um, But I do like what Pena offers as a sub. And I think in that role, um, for at least this season, it makes sense. Um, You know, long term, you mentioned his salary. Maybe it doesn't make sense to keep him on the roster if that's going to be his role. But uh, I think I think the superstar role suits him well. Especially if Tayon Buchanan, too, they want to give him more and more minutes. Uh, and he, he shows a little bit more improvement uh, every time he goes run, running out there. Uh, we're not going to do a deep dive into Bootner, uh, but you did mention uh, his name. I do want to just kind of throw out some stats because I thought he had an exceptional game. 29 for 32 passing. That's 91%. He was 15 for 16 uh, in the attacking third. He also had four chances created, two of them from set plays, two of them from open plays. And I'm just going to throw this out here. Uh, I got... Football Manager 20 uh, yesterday. It is actually free this weekend. So a little PSA if you want Football Manager. It is free this weekend. Uh, got it. I basically put Bootner in the uh, Brandon Byroll where I just push him up and he's thrown in crosses. And I'm just going to say Bootner had three assists in his first game. Adam Buchs had three goals in his first game. So I think if we just run everything through Adam <laughs> Bootner, Alexander Bootner, I think that's going to solve all your problems, Bruce Arena. Uh, just, just, I mean, I'm getting better. I three goals from Adam Books. I got more in one game of football manager from him than we've gotten in an entire season of real life. So <laughs> Alexander Bootner, push him up, uh, use him in the offense, get him involved more. I know we get a question about Brandon by all the time, but I, I think Bootner, his, his crossing needs to be something that uh, needs to be a little bit utilized a lot more um, to, to get this offensive going. Cause I, I feel like he's a very silent weapon that just has not been used to its maximum capacity. And I know there's a lot of moving parts, but I, I think it's a big missed opportunity so far in the season. So uh, Sean, let's get to some listener questions. Uh, we got a question from Cameron on discord. He asks us, when should Revs fans hit the panic button? No home wins this season and not getting a complete effort, either good offense and bad defense or strong defense and no offense. Just a little more context before you answer this question. Um, You know, the playoffs are expanded to 10 teams this year. So um, the Revs are kind of in that mix of the 7 to 10 range right now. And I think we did the math before the podcast. I think they played about 12 games 
supposed to be 10 more allegedly yeah we're around so we're almost at like the halfway point it feels like we should be at the end of the season but we have two more games this week and then they're going to apparently announce some more games after this but um we're, we're at about the halfway point and the revs are i mean i don't know how i feel about the revs at this point but sean uh when should the revs fans hit the panic button and if not now when I mean, they've got a 500 record, I guess, which is not terrible, not great. Um, it's it's a really weird season. We've talked about it a lot with the, the staggering and stopping. Um, and the, the amount of tr- changes the Revolution have made. Obviously, Carlos Heald, the best player on the Revolution roster, um, you know, out for all but a couple of games. Um, and then bringing in guys like Akuta Mane, Lee Wynn, Tommy McNamara. You know, McNamara and Wynn are going into the starting lineup and, and having a big impact. Um, those are a lot of changes to adjust to. And... You know, despite the fact that it's September, they've played 12 games, um, and a lot of those games have been spaced out over a big period of time. There's a lot to be worried about with this team's offense. There's no question about it. But uh, like you mentioned, 10 teams make the playoffs. Um, odds are the Revolution are going to make the playoffs regardless of you know how poor they perform the rest of the way. They just have to be better than the bottom four teams in the East, which you know so far I, I can comfortably say they have been. Um, you know, are they a contender this year? No. Did anyone expect them to be a contender without Carlos Heel? I think absolutely not. Um, but you know, there were some promising signs in this game. Uh, I think some of those chances that Tejan Buchanan had that he put right on goal, uh, right at the goalkeeper, you know, he could have put away and maybe in the future he will. Uh, Gustavo Bo at some point needs to figure out how to stay on side and maybe some of his chances will actually count. Um, but, you know, there's reason for concern, but I wouldn't hit the panic button just yet. But I'd also set your expectations a lot lower than, you know, what they might have been at the start of the season when you saw Adam Buchs as this new DP striker and when you thought Carles Hill and, and Gustavo Bo were going to combine with them. Um, because there have been a lot of pieces that haven't performed at the level you would have hoped. Buxa being number one, um, Pena probably also being on that list, and Gustavo Bo also being on that list. Um, but there's still a lot of talent on this roster, and I think they can turn it around this season to at least figure out how to score a couple goals a game um, and you know make sure they're not in that bottom four uh, and then build something which is more towards next year when Carlos Hill is hopefully back and this Revolution team actually has the talent level they need to actually compete for a top spot in the East. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I would if I had to quantify this, I would give it maybe five-ish more games before I'm slamming on the panic button. I think results-wise, the Revs are going to be in the playoffs. And I also think the Revs play up to their level of competition. I think they're going to beat or, you know, or maybe barely get by the Chicago's of the world while also giving New York City FC or Columbus or Philadelphia or TFC or whoever you want to, you know, name as the top team in the East. They're going to give that team a, a hard battle too, just because they are so strong defensively and, and at goal with Matt Turner. So, um, I, I still think that this team, if they can figure it out offensively and if they can tweak some things and maybe get more familiar with themselves, if they're able to score two goals in a game, I, I like our chances. Like that's just, it doesn't matter who the opponent is. If we can score twice other than maybe LAFC or, or someone like that. I mean, I, I don't think there's a juggernaut in the East that can blow out this refs team as it is right now. So I'm not concerned. I, I'm just not there yet for the, the panic button, but we need to see some improvement because we've been saying it since the MLS is back tournament. So, um, go ahead. And, and Philadelphia has the second most points per game in the Eastern Conference right now. And if not for a, a Matt Polster red card a week ago, the Revolution were playing them pretty evenly. Um, so, you know, I, I completely agree with you that it's it's too soon to, to freak out. Um, but we they, the Revolution need to get more results, and especially in a home game like this one where they, they played pretty well. you got to get three points, not one. Absolutely. Um, we got a question from TSB11 on Discord. Why are the Revs so reliant on a dedicated chance creator, uh, which obviously is Carly's heel? Um, Sean, 
why are the Rebs so reliant on one guy? Yeah, I mean, when you have a guy the talent of Carlos Hill, it's easy to become reliant on him and, and play him as a facilitator. Uh, and I think the revolution, you could make that case. You could definitely make the case when, when Lee Wynn um, was here, it was kind of the same thing. And, um, you know, if, go, going even further back, when Shaw Joseph was asked to be more of the offensive role late in his, in his revolution career, when uh, the revolution teams were, were pretty bad outside of him, they became very reliant on him as well. Um, but there's a lot of talent on this revolution team offensively. You know, we, we talked about it earlier, um, and they need to find a way to be less reliant on that one guy. Um, you know, Lee Wynn, for as much as he can add to this offense now, he's not going to be, you know, that one guy that you can just count on at 33 years old, but having not really been a regular starter for two years now. Um, so you know, I, I think that, again, when you have a guy, the talent of Carlos Hill, one of the, you know, an, an MLS best 11 player, um, you know, there's every reason to be. Uh, to make your offense flow through him and rely on him. Um, and I think we've seen the Revolution make some adjustments, especially in this New York City FC game, uh, where they looked a lot better offensively in creating chances. They just couldn't finish it. Um, and at times, maybe it was a little bit of sharpness. But at other times, you know, there were there were a couple of great chances in this game that the Revolution should have put away. Um, whether Again, whether it was Tejan Buchanan or whether it was Gustavo Bo just being a you know, foot off sides. Um, so I, I think when they have a guy like Lee Wynn that allows them to play for the middle and they're not going to be relying on him the way they are with Carles Hill, uh, I think eventually they will find a way to, to, to not be so reliant on that one chance creator. Um, but you know, they've been a team that's had the luxury of being able to do that when they had a guy like Lee Wynn in his prime and when they had Carles Hill healthy. Chris asks us, Lee Wynn called Bruce Arena a tactical genius. Doesn't a tactical genius get more out of his players and turn draws into wins? Or do you think it happens uh, as they work together and make this team better? So uh, really kind of a, a question on Bruce Arena and his job so far without Carles Hill. Uh, obviously, the offense is still struggling months into the injury. Um, Sean, are you questioning Bruce Arena's uh, uh, status as a genius? Uh, or do you think it still needs a little bit more time with all the moving parts? I mean, a tactical genius <laughs> doesn't lose to Trinidad and Tobago and makes the World Cup with the U.S. Oh, national team. <laughs> you had to go there. You had <laughs> but, to do that. I, I, I've never thought Bruce Arena was a tactical genius. I think he's a guy that's good you know, at motivating his players and as a man manager. Um, and I think he's good at, you know, kind of being that GM role as well of kind of figuring out guys in the league that can come in and help a team. Um, but I've never thought he was a tactical genius. Uh, you, we look at kind of various things he's done this season, where he's put Gustavo Bow and where he's put Christian Pena and how long it's kind of taken him to course correct. Um, and he, it, was, it, was it Gustavo Bow where he kind of joked about putting him in, in that more offensive striker role and, and how, how he's a genius for figuring it out kind of as, as a sarcastic joke? I'm not sure Bruce Arena would tell you. He's a tactical genius if you asked him. Um, but no, I, I think you can uh, discredit Bruce Arena a little bit for the Revolution's performance this year and his inability to kind of put guys like Bo in the best position to succeed um, and you know maybe Adam, even Adam Buxa in the best position to succeed. I think the way the Revolution have played tactically um, at times hasn't necessarily put him in the best position to succeed either. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call him a tactical genius. Um, and I would say it's fair to question his ability to kind of get guys in the best spots um, they need to be in to play. Um, because we we haven't seen that at time this year. So, um, you know, <laughs> compared to Brad Friedel, uh, he's absolutely a tactical genius, if that's your comparison point. He's done so much better with this team than Brad Friedel did. Um, but overall, I don't think it was ever the case that Bruce Arena was a tactical genius. He's a very good manager. Uh, he's generally very good at getting his guys motivated. Um, and I don't think he's, you know, I, I would never say uh, with his team that anything along the lines of he's lost locker room. I don't think that's the case, certainly. I think the, the team wants to play for him. Um, but, you know, tactical genius? No, I think you're giving him too much credit if you're going to call Bruce Arena a tactical genius. Well, let me let me kind of rephrase. Do you, have you 
Um, do you, did you have more faith in Bruce Arena's ability as a uh, coach tactically before the season than you do now? Like, has he has his stock dropped for you uh, because he's been unable to figure out a way to score goals? Because he's brought in some new players and he's tried some different things and, and nothing has really worked. And if you look at the the players on this team and and you know you have Buxabo, you have two designated players dedicated to the offensive side of the ball. You have Christian Pena. Now you have Lee Wynn. You have Mene. You have Teal Bunbury, who they signed to an extension. Um, Justin Rennix. I know he's he's down at Revs too, but he's a U20 guy that I think a lot of people had high hopes for. You have Tayon Buchanan. Who, who did some nice things with uh, Brad Friel before Bruce Arena came in. Um, you know, at the beginning of the season, we thought this offense was going to be hitting on all cylinders. And you take Carly's heel out, and I understand it's like taking the engine out of a car, but a good mechanic would, you know, figure out how to replace the engine. Um, I mean, in my mind, Bruce Arena's coaching job this season has not been great. Um, and I expected offensive struggles you know, a few games post the MLS's back tournament, certainly there is a learning curve, um, not just for Bruce Arena, but for the players as well to, to kind of figure out the new normal. Um, but we're we're two months away from the MLS's back tournament, and, and I don't see any sort of improvement so far. Do you? I mean, outside no, of the No, I, I don't. It's just there's there's two sides, and there's the offensive side in which they – they haven't shown anything, um, but there's also the defensive side in which that's kept them in a lot of games this year. And some of that's Matt Turner, certainly, but they've allowed less than a goal a game. Um, and again, your, your comparison point is, is Brad Friedel. Um, and this defense was atrocious under Brad Friedel, but you know, a lot of the same guys. And then, you know, a couple of additions in, in Bootner and Kessler um, and this defense all of a sudden statistically is one of the better in MLS as far as goals against. Um, so there, there's two sides there. And I, I'm with you that I think if you you know looked at what he did last year and how he turned this team around um, after how terrible they were with Brad Friedel, um, I think tactically in my mind, I thought a lot more highly of him than maybe I had before he became the revolution coach, certainly again, <laughs> coming off of his U.S. national team performance. Um, you know, And there's also a lot of questions with him on whether he's adapted to, to the new MLS, or at least there was going to be a lot of questions uh, before he came to the revolution on, on whether this guy that had been in MLS since the beginning um, is able to kind of adapt his coaching style to how the league has evolved. And I think... You know, last year we saw that he had, and I still kind of think that he has. Um, but yeah, I do think it's fair to say he's gone down a notch or two in my mind as far as his you know, tactical ability um, in setting a lineup this year uh, compared to you know maybe what we saw last year and what we expected this year with that offense. Mike D asks us, do you think running a 4-4-2 would open up more opportunities for goal scoring inside the box? I feel that our forward up top is stranded and our wing, uh, and our wing play and crosses are not effective as there's usually only one guy in the box at a time. Sean, uh, I know we've kind of reverted back to the 4-2-3-1. Uh, what do you think about potentially uh, shifting back to a 4-4-2? Yeah, I, I struggle with this question. I saw this one come in before the show, and um, it's it's a it's a tough one because uh, I kind of have two minds on this one. Um, I think there was that that one game where they did play a four four two with two strikers and they looked okay. Um, but you know, you talk right now about w- what does a four four two mean? Um, and if you go to a four four two, can you play Lee Wynn in that midfield at thirty three years old? Because you you need him to add a little more defensively. I think if you're going to play a four four two, then I think he's capable of, of doing at this point in his career. Um, and certainly when he was first with the Revolution, he didn't add much defensively either. But we saw with LAFC that he was capable of kind of adding that to his game. But I'm not sure that's that's still the case. Um, so if if your question is if you switch to a four four two and that means dropping Lee Win in favor of Adam Buxa, uh, does that make the Revolution offense better? Um, and and based on what we've seen, I don't know that the answer to that is yes. Um, I completely get where that comment's coming from um, and why it's appealing to you know play two strikers up top. Um, 
but and and at the same time, you know, talking about earlier, and I guess you know to give Bruce somewhat of an excuse, it, it's kind of tough figuring out what the Revolution's best lineup is right now because you know Gustavo Bo is not really um, that number nine. He's kind of a guy that doesn't really have a position. You he's kind of a you know talk about a luxury player. He's kind of that luxury player that you want to be able to float around um, behind somebody. Um, but I think in order to play him, in order to play another striker with him, if you're going to kind of put him as that kind of wandering forward, I'm not sure you can play Lee Wynn. Um, so if you go back to a central midfield that's, you know, Matt Polster and Tommy McNamara or Matt Polster and Kellen Rowe, uh, then your wingers are maybe Buchanan and Bunbury or Buchanan and Pania or something like that. Uh, are you better off than what you saw against New York City FC? And, and right now, I, I think I would say no. Yeah, and it's a tough one. And, and, and... Part of this question too is it'd be a bit of a natural fit to get Bo and Buxa up top together, but um, I mean that that midfield is a bit of a scramble. I mean it's probably what Polster and McNamara and the as your central midfielders and Lee wins right. kind of the, the odd man out, or and then you probably have Teal Bunbury on the right you know right midfield, or, or you put him on the left midfield, and I don't know you you kind of have to move around some pieces and, and figure it out. It, it's weird because they have so many wingers um, uh, that I, I think they would be kind of. Um, I don't know, maybe Tayon Buchanan could play right midfield. Um, I, I, I was really encouraged of what he did defensively, but um, yeah, I, I think you could maybe go match by match, um, but then you're kind of adding on to this, you know, snowball effect of we're getting later and later in the season. We still haven't found our footing. So um, I, I, I'm not opposed to it. Maybe you go back to the diamond. I know the diamond kind of had some, some not great results, but um, now you can make the argument that if you had Lee Wynn kind of up top and not, Tommy McNamara or Diego Fagundes or Gustavo Bo, uh, maybe that that diamond is a little bit more effective, and you put Buxa and Bo up top instead of, um, you know, Buxa and Bunbury. Um, so uh, I'm I'm not totally sure. I, I wouldn't be opposed to running out the four four two diamond again, um, or maybe if you're going to go a little more defensively, uh, or Lee Wynn needs a rest because I don't think you have another central attacking midfielder uh, on the on the on the roster. Um, maybe you do go with a four four two, maybe for the midweek game against Montreal if, if you need to rest Lee Wynn. Um, so I, I'm not opposed to it. I just you have a lot of moving pieces, and I'm not sure we're we're still trying to figure out. Um, where to use everyone overall. So I, I share your uh, concerns, but not, not a bad thought from Mike overall. Um, David asked us the creative passes today were fun to watch. What did we see today that we can use going forward? Um, I, I say besides an encouraging Lee Wynn and Tayon Buchanan, uh, Sean, what, uh, what else can the revs use today going forward? I said they can actually play in possession because we haven't seen that much with, with Carly's heel out. Um, you know, again, they've, they've been a lot, it's been in a lot of games, they've been a counterattacking team for the most part, um, whether by design or by, by force, because they haven't been able to keep possession. Uh, and, you know, Lee Wynn really helped them do that in this game. And I think the, the kind of the combination of Lee Wynn, Tommy McNamara and Scott Caldwell, or maybe if that's Polster instead of Caldwell, once he's out of back from suspension, um, I think that there's a lot of promise there that that's actually a team that can build possession. Um, and, you know, holding possession is one thing, turning that into chances is another. I don't think they did that quite enough in this game, but um, I think it's a start. And I think you can build on what they did against New York City FC and their ability to actually control the possession for much of this game and turn that into a, a more dynamic offense that, you know, creates chances through the middle and not just trying to force things down the wing or not just trying to force Gustavo Boda create magic out of nothing. Um, so, you know, there were some creative nice passes in this game, and I think that was a product of their ability to actually maintain possession, kind of push forward in possession. And, you know, the final pass wasn't necessarily always there in this game, but... Um, just the ability to be a possession team 
um, I think is, you know, gives the revolution more options going forward and more options on, on how to play um, depending on who they're going against. Because again, New York City FC is a team that likes to play in possession. So to outpossess them, um, again, Max Morales was missing, but to outpossess them is still, uh, you know, a pretty important step for the revolution. And I think it's, it's something that you can, you know, slowly, you know, maybe it didn't happen in this game, but translate into to more of a dynamic offense that doesn't just become reliant on the, the wing play. And again, you kind of use where you were against NYC FC two weeks ago. Uh, and it's certainly encouraging to see the Revs are able to at least uh, kind of be toe-to-toe with them a little bit. So uh, Teal Bunbury Simp asks us an extremely important question. Uh, he says he has no Revs question. They don't deserve the five seconds it would take to think of a question. So instead he asks us, these first few days of 55 to 63 degree weather after the summer heat are my favorite time of year. Do you guys agree? Sean? I, I do. And it also seems to usually historically be the Revolution's favorite time of year when they get out of their summer slump in the 55, 60 degree weather and start to put together a good run. Um, we haven't seen that yet, but but maybe we will. But no, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, the early fall weather when you can go outside and, and long sleeves and be comfortable and exercise. Yeah, I, I like it. He, he tried not making it about the revs and you found a way to make <laughs> it about the revs. That is just you're a pro, Sean. You've been doing this for way too long. Um, I will say that it's either this, the September football season is starting up. Uh, you can go outside in a T-shirt and jeans weather. Um, or I, I would also say when the snow is starting to melt, you have March, April, you start going outside again. Baseball is starting up. Soccer is starting up. Or I should say MLS is starting up. Um, I, I would say that I either want, um, you know, mid Mid-March to early April, um, you know, your college basketball, March Madness uh, season is winding down and it kind of gets back into the full flow of, of sports in spring. I would say that's a very – that and, and the beginning of September are neck and neck for me. Um, either way, you know, it feels like it's just beautiful weather and you love getting outside. And I actually was on vacation this week, so um, I, I certainly enjoyed uh, the beautiful, beautiful weather this week. So, um, yeah, I, I, I concur. Uh, we also got one more question from Jay Alexander Dolan. Uh, my question is, can we just let Sean talk about the return of Gareth Bale? I think he'd enjoy that more. I know I would. Uh, so Sean, I'm going to give you approximately, uh, I'm going to give you 20 seconds <laughs> to talk about Tottenham and Gareth Bale, but after 20 seconds, you got to stop. Are you ready? Sure. Okay, go. I mean, for one thing, the, the team under, uh, Mourinho has been a bit of a struggle so far, but to bring back a guy of Gareth Barrel, who I think is partly because of Mourinho being there, is an absolutely huge thing for a club that <laughs> needs some positivity. And then to have a 5-2 to two win today before they even add Gareth Bale on their offense, a, 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 tr- a trio up top of Harry Kane, right, that's time, Gareth that's time, Bale, and Son is going to be fun to watch. That's time, that's time, that's time, that's time. I smell uh, championship. We got a Pats game starting in 10 minutes. Everyone's going to be listening to this tomorrow, but I want to get your official prediction on the record. So when you're wrong, we can all laugh at you. Uh, I think Seattle is unfortunately going to win this game. Oh yeah, I do too. I, I, I also, I also bet Seattle minus four. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not feeling good about our chances tonight. I think a lot of people are too high on the, the Patriots and I, I, you know, I think everyone's excited about them uh, over the Dolphins. I mean, the Dolphins should have covered and they looked pretty terribly offensively. So I, you know, uh, Russell Wilson looked pretty damn good against Atlanta. I know it's Atlanta and you know, they just bleed points on defense, but whew, it's not, I, I, I can't <laughs> wait. If, if the Patriots win, please tweet at us and laugh at us. But I, I think Seattle's got this game by double digits. Um, Sean, anything else you wanted to cover before we wrap up today? 
No, I mean, I, I just am once again confused as to how we're a week away from the, the last game on the schedule and there are supposed to be what, eight more games after that that still haven't been added and we still don't know when they're going to happen. That doesn't make it easier for those of us trying to plan podcasts and kind of get a routine schedule going on uh, when we can record. Uh, one thing I do want to bring up, uh, Justin Rennix uh, made his Revs 2 debut, I think, last week, but he scored uh, this week against Omaha, I think. Um, I did not watch the game, but he ended up scoring. A lot of people were very excited. I'm excited Justin Rennix is getting minutes, uh, but from what I've heard, he looks like he is a class above Rev 2. Uh, Sean, uh, real quick, good move, bad move. You excited about Justin Rennix down at Revs 2? Good move. It just took too long. I mean, it's been too long where he hasn't had enough minutes with the first team to justify him being there. So um, I think it's it's great that he's finally going to get more minutes down there. But yeah, I agree. I mean, we've, we've talked about it before. I think he, he should be a class above that level, but any playing time right now is better than nothing. And we did have another, uh, you know, thing we got to talk about as a pro Matt Turner podcast, but FIFA ratings came out this week and Matt Turner not in the top 10 FIFA ratings in MLS. Um, I don't think his FIFA rating was actually revealed, um, but it's below a 73, I think. Um, Sean, uh, how outraged are you uh, by this injustice? I mean, it's it's pretty shocking, but what's equally as shocking is the fact that Kenneth Vermeer on LAFC, who's not even their starter anymore, is the number one rated goalkeeper in MLS. And Matt Turner is not even in the top 10. How, do, how does that happen? I, You know what? I don't know. I, I try not to put a lot of stock into FIFA ratings. I'm more of a football manager guy, as I said. But um, I, I just want to point out quickly, uh, Matt Turner was asked about it at a press conference. Here's what he said. I didn't, I didn't see it, so I don't really follow that stuff. It's funny. I haven't played a game of FIFA since I became a professional soccer player. Uh, I do know enough soccer. I, I know enough soccer here and watch enough games, so I don't see it. I don't really know the ratings, and I don't know what they all really mean. Um, I thought that was an interesting response, considering last year when FIFA ratings came out, him and Andrew Farrell did a video where they were reacting to their FIFA ratings and laughing about uh, where they were with all of their numbers. So a complete one, 180 turnaround from Matt Turner. I, I guess he's taking a new approach and doesn't really pay attention to uh, FIFA ratings anymore. But uh, I, I did find it funny that he's playing it off as, ah, I didn't really see it. I don't really care about it. Um, a year after he was kind of, you know, the, the focal point uh, of, of uh, the, the Revs PR team uh, making a, a video on the, the FIFA ratings. So, um, yeah, yeah. But overall, I, I mean, I don't know. He's got to be a 73. He was a 69 last year. You're telling me he hasn't improved four points since whatever. Anyway, although he was he wasn't he wasn't in the analyst goalkeeper of the year finalist. So, um, you know, whatever. I'm still bitter about that. That turn is very disrespected. Whatever. They'll they'll all be sorry when he's you know starting for the U.S. in the Gold Cup. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, by 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 the way, quickly because I just see it was posted now. Expected goals for the Revolution game is up now. Revolution 0.65, New York City FC 0.50. So not much there, huh? It's pretty sad that I'm so used to like disappointing offensive performances that you know I, I we kind of had some positive takeaways from a game where you have 0.65 expected goals. <laughs> Um, I, I don't think those, those, uh, measure offsides goals. There were some, some, you know, decent movement. Boy, I'm really grasping at straws. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I guess, I guess we were today, huh? Jeez. <laughs> uh, we're just so numb to no offense, but anyway. Um, Sean, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at Sean L. Donahue. And you can follow us at Revolution Recap. And please also like our Revolution Recap Facebook page. I don't think we're going to be back with a podcast next week. There's going to be a midweek game against Montreal. And then we're, is, there's going to be a, a game on Sunday nights, which is when we typically record. Um, so it'd be very difficult for us to record a podcast next week. And we don't know the schedule beyond that.
on that. So I'm not sure when our next episode will be, but we'll let you know on Twitter uh, when we are, we'll be recording a new podcast again, and we will be looking for your questions as always. But until then, thank you everyone for listening and go Rebs.